All right, well, good morning. I am honored to be here this morning. I'm honored to get to preach God's word, uh, kind of be the bookend to this summer series called Voices. And I know, like me, you are excited and expectant for Pastor Daniel to be back in the pulpit uh, next week. And so we're excited for that. But I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Uh, in December of 2016, God called my family to move to Moorhead, and God called me to be the campus minister at the BCM on campus. Yeah, I got some BCM folks. Yeah, well, if you're old like me, Chris, you know it as the what? B-S-U. Yeah, that's how I always know how old you are is, is how you use the, the letters. So that's what God has called my family here. And man, it's, it's been a wild ride and we're so thankful. And as you, as you know, and I will ask, you know, here in just a few short weeks, our students are gonna be back on campus. Thousands of students are gonna come into our city and, and get on our campus. And so would you please, if you have not already, commit to pray for our campus. Uh, I was reading something recently that said um, about 5% or less on any particular college, college campus has been reached with the gospel. So about 5% or less of students, not that only 5% have heard the gospel about but about 5% actually have believed the gospel and are truly following after Jesus. We desperately want to see that changed. And so would you commit to pray for the lostness on our campus, that, that the Lord would just move and save, and save souls? And, Lord, and would you pray for ministries like ours, also ministries like Crew, we heard from uh, Patrick in the beginning of this series, Athletes in Action, and there are other campus ministries that are serving on our campus. Would you commit to pray uh, for that this this week and, and as we move forward. And I have to admit and be honest that even though I am excited for the fall, part of me is also lamenting the end of summer. Can you believe that summer is already kind of, you know, drawing to a close? I love summer. Summer is one of the best times of the year, right? I mean, there's so much to do uh, from, you know, just swimming, fishing, boating, uh, camping, all the, the fun stuff, family time, family vacations, and let's not forget all the summer food that we get to, to eat, right? We just grilled chicken at my house last night, and that was nice, um, but, but grilling out, you know, burgers and, and all that good stuff, it's getting close to lunch, I better stop, but fried green tomatoes, that's like the summer highlight for us uh, is having those at my house but you know, I love summer because you, you do get to get together with family and celebrate things and just have a good time. And to, today, I want to take us into another celebration, really a dinner party that was thrown for a very awesome reason. Probably you've never, actually not probably, you've never been to a celebration like this one because this celebration was for the fact that Jesus had just raised one of his good friends, Lazarus, from the dead. Anybody ever been to a resurrection party before? I've not either. But at this party, what we're gonna see is literally Lazarus, a man who was dead, is sitting at the table with Jesus, so it's pretty cool. But to set up the story, we first need to look at the context. Context is key in, in understanding the Bible. John chapter 12 is where we're gonna be today, but in John chapter 11, the Bible describes what happens when Lazarus dies. Jesus gets word that his friend, Lazarus, is sick. And you might think, when you got word that your, that your friend was sick, very sick, that you would 
immediately go to them. But the Bible says that Jesus actually waits for two days. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has died and has been buried in the tomb for four days. And there are family and there are friends there mourning at the tomb. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha comes out and, and greets Jesus and she says to Jesus, Jesus, if you'd only been here, I know my brother would have lived, but I know that you can do anything, even now. And, and Jesus says to her, your brother will live. And she says, yes, I know he will live in the resurrection. One day he will be raised to life again because of you. And Jesus makes this profound statement, one of the seven I am statements in the, in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this statement may not sound like much to you and I, but this is a huge deal. Jesus is associating himself with God. Because in the Old Testament, the name I am was synonymous with God himself. So when Jesus says, I am, he is saying, I am God. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I have power over life and death. And then what happens after this statement is said is amazing because he doesn't just talk the talk. Jesus walks the walk and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He calls Lazarus to come out of the grave and to take off the grave clothes. Absolutely an amazing, amazing account in scripture. But where we're going to pick up then is John chapter 12. But it, what happens after the resurrection of Lazarus is very interesting because it causes two things. One, the people that were there, many of them saw this miracle and they believed. They fully believed in Christ, but others, it had the opposite effect. Others who were a part of the, the religious elite at the time, the Jewish Sanhedrin, they began to meet and plan and say, listen, if he continues to do miracles like this, we're gonna lose all the power and control that we have. We need to get rid of this guy as soon as we can. And that's where we're gonna pick up in John chapter 12. So would you uh, read with me verses one through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may, be, she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came out, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, 
many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Man, imagine, again, imagine being at this event, this party that's being thrown. And it's, it's amazing to think about the conversation. You know, John puts in here that Lazarus is at the table reclining with Jesus. Imagine the conversation that is going on at the table. I mean, what would you ask Lazarus if you were sitting at this table? What questions would you have for him? I mean, imagine again the conversation. Hey, Lazarus, what have you been up to lately? Uh, you know, I mean, just this and that, hanging out with my, my family, my sisters, work. Oh, and I died last week and Jesus raised me from the dead, so that was kind of cool. That was an interesting thing that happened. I mean, this conversation is not normal. This is some crazy stuff that's going on here, but, but he wants, John wants us to see, and the, and the Bible wants us to, to recognize God is, is screaming out to us from the pages of this gospel that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and you see that all the way through the gospels, that he raised Lazarus back to life. Lazarus was dead. I mean, he was as dead as a hammer, and Jesus raised him back to life. This is an amazing truth. And just to kind of set this up a little bit more, you may recognize Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this family, from another account uh, in Scripture. In Luke, the Bible tells us about Jesus already having a relationship with them. He went to their house. If you remember the story, Martha is the sister who is busy working, doing all the things to kind of, you know, make it all happen. And, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha kind of gets frustrated at her sister. And she even goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister to do something. I know you've never done that to your sibling, right? You're like, I'm doing everything. You need to, you know, tell my, my sister to do something, Mom. Uh, but what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, but Mary's chosen to do the right thing here. Mary recognized that Jesus being in her house and her being in his presence was the greatest thing she may have ever experienced, and she wasn't gonna miss that moment. And so when we look at this passage, what we're gonna see here is that this text really isn't about Lazarus. Certainly it's about Jesus, but it, it actually points us towards looking at Mary. And what I want us to see this morning is her extravagant love of Jesus and what happens because of that, right? Her extravagant love of Jesus is on full display for us to see. And I want us, this is the main point of this, of this morning, is that if we are truly a follower of Christ, then a genuine love of Jesus should overflow in extravagant ways in all areas of our life, in our worship, in our humility, in our service of God. See, like Mary, you have heard the teachings of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've asked him to save you, then you've experienced the power of Jesus and you know it's real. You've experienced the resurrection power through him. And so this morning, I wanna ask us, has your encounter with Jesus led to a life that responds to Jesus the way Mary's did? Because it should. So we wanna look at Mary's account here, her actions, 
how her genuine love has overflown. Because what is said of Mary in this text should also be said of you and I today. The first point this morning I want us to, to see here is that genuine love of Jesus leads to extravagant acts of worship. Now in John uh, chapter 12, verse three, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he, was about, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, these amounts and, and the amounts here, I, I need to kind of explain because we see it says one pound. That's about how much this expensive ointment she had. This was about 11 to 12 ounces of liquid. So think a can of, of pop, right? So that amount of liquid worth 300 denarii. Now to put that in perspective, one Roman denarius was worth about a day's wage for someone in this time. So to put that together, we're talking about something that's worth about a year's salary for someone like this, right? 300 days worth of their salary. Now imagine taking your, your salary for one year. Get that, that in your mind. You're thinking, man, I wish that was bigger, but that's all right. Take that amount. You buy something like this. You buy a 12-ounce bottle of perfume, and within moments, you literally pour it out, all of it. Now, from a monetary standpoint, that just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, that just seems like an entire waste. I mean, when my kids spill milk on the table, we're like trying to catch it because it's two seventy-nine a gallon, and I'm like, you know, let's save that, put it back in the fridge for when we eat cereal the next time. But if you had something that was worth, a year's worth of your salary, to pour that out in just a few moments, from that perspective, would just be a waste. And here's what we see here. There's, there's two... Um, her actions are judged in two different ways by different people. Judas, what does he say in verse four? Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he basically says what we just said, that was a waste. Why didn't we sell that and give it to the poor? But the Bible tells us that Judas' heart is not for the poor. Actually, it tells us he cared only about himself. He was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to, to help himself for what was put into it. He just wanted to steal the money. The Bible also tells us in Matthew's account that his other disciples were also indignant at Mary's actions. Maybe not for the same reason, but nonetheless, they weren't interested. But let's say, for sake of argument, that they were genuinely interested in, and had a heart for the poor. They still were missing the point they were still missing the point of where the true value was in this moment. You see, the, the, if it was the, the perfume was the most significant treasure at this dinner, then yes, her act would have been a squandering of that and it would have been judged rightly. Their indignation uh, of Mar Mary's act of worship would have been right, but they were completely wrong. You see, if they had fully understand 
that the most valuable treasure at this dinner was not this item, this substance, but it was the person of Jesus Christ, then their indignation would not have been, this is too much to give to the king of glory. Their indignation would have been, this is far too little. How could you give such measly amounts to the king of the world, the savior, Jesus himself? And church, this is exactly the reaction that is going to happen when a true and genuine follower of Christ begins to walk in a way that is counter to the world and the culture. I can't understand why they would give up that job or that salary or move their family to that place or not do this or not do that for their religion, for their faith. I can't understand why they would do that. It doesn't make sense. Because so many times, following Jesus from an earthly standpoint doesn't make sense. But we understand and we see in scripture that if Jesus truly is who the Bible says, he is the resurrection and the life, he is the savior of the world, and if he has changed and saved us, there is nothing too extravagant to give in worship of him, even our, our lives. The second response for Mary's actions comes from Jesus himself. And let's see what he has to say in verse seven. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. In Matthew's account, we get a little more description. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow, so while Judas and the other disciples judged Mary's action as a waste, Jesus calls what she has done a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Beautiful, not because of the, the amount or the worth of her offering, because Jesus owns it all, right? It's all his. But beautiful because she gave it from a heart that was overflowing with her love for Jesus and what he had done for her and her family. It was beautiful because Jesus says this is preparation. You see, Jesus is already thinking forward. He knows that he's about to go and die in a sacrificial death for the sins of the world. And his body is gonna be broken and placed in a tomb. And her, this perfume is preparation for his body and his burial. It's foreshadowing of that moment. It's beautiful because it put Jesus in the proper place in her heart. See, because it's not about the amount of the gift, right? It's about the condition of the heart when we give it our heart in the proper place? Do we have Jesus in the proper place in our lives? And do we have everything else in the proper perspective? Mary's gift was a pure gift. You know, Mary's not, not a re-gifter. Any re-gifters out there? You just got convicted. You got that place in your closet where you got all the gifts that you don't like and you're gonna re-gift them? Mary's not a re-gifter. Her gift was genuine and pure. Her love for Christ 
is on full display here and she pours out all that she has on Jesus because she believes it's worth it all. She gives her best to him, her first and her best. So let me ask, if Jesus has truly done all that he has done in your life, is there anything in your life that's too extravagant to give in worship of him? The answer we should have is no. But how many times do we treat the things of this life as if they have more value than the one who saved our lives from the pits of hell? How many times do we worship and hang and cling on to the created things over the creator? Man, when Jesus is your greatest treasure, you begin to hold the things of this life more loosely, don't you? And you notice the, the more you walk with Christ, the closer you get to him, the easier it becomes to just let those things go. Because you realize that if you have Christ, you have everything you need in life and death. You have the greatest treasure, the eternal Son of God, the Holy Spirit living within you. His love for you is extravagant. And so therefore, your response to his extravagant love should be extravagantly worshiping him in all areas of your life. So let me ask you, when is the last time you demonstrated extravagant love for Jesus in your life? And I don't mean just with money, but in, in using the gifts God's given you, in serving, loving others, sharing the hope of Christ. That is what he has called us to do, and that's what we see of Mary here. The second point is this. Genuine love of Jesus leads to extravagant humility. Mary takes the, the perfume, the ointment, and she pours it out. She anoints Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. This is, again, this is an act of humility. Washing someone's feet, this was designated for the lowest of servant, but Mary, in this act of worship and humility, she anoints his feet with her hair. And it's so interesting and powerful because this is a combination that we don't often see. Extravagant generosity and extravagant humility. Because let's be honest, many times if we give extravagantly, we still have selfish motivations. We may give a gift, but we want someone to know that we gave that gift, right? We want recognition. We do it so that we can be lifted up and celebrated. But there's nothing that tells us that that is Mary's motivation at all. Her heart in doing this is completely so that Jesus would be glorified and God would be glorified and the people around her would see him glorified. And this act of humility points forward because in just a few short days, Jesus is going to sit with his disciples at this last supper, we call it, the Passover meal, and he is going to, to bend down and he is going to wash his disciples' feet. And then he's gonna tell his disciples, what I have done to you, now you go and do likewise. You see, we, as genuine followers of, of Christ, we are never more Christ-like in our actions than when we are serving others. Mark 10.45 says it like this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give 
His life is a ransom for many. If Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the Son of God, the King of heaven, would humble himself just to become a man, just to take on flesh, but then also to come to be a servant of his creation, how much more should we be serving in the name of Jesus so that others will will see him for who he is? Find a way to do that. Find a way to serve. Find a way within your your church. There are many ways to serve. Find a way within your, your family, within your workplace. There are so many opportunities that we have to serve others in the name of Jesus and point them to him. The third and final point is this. Genuine love of Jesus leads to an extravagant witness. I don't know if you... If you caught at the end of the Matthew passage what Jesus said about Mary, he says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. We are still reading and talking about Mary's legacy today. Jesus said that in the whole world, when the gospel is proclaimed and the story is told, what people will know about Mary is that her love for Christ was so genuine, her worship of him so evident, her humility on display for all to see that the whole world will be a witness to the reality that the gospel has transformed her life. This is Mary's legacy. And this is the legacy that God has called every Christian to have. My question for you this morning is, what legacy will you leave behind when you're gone? What will people say of you? Will it be your your worship of Jesus that they talk about? Man, he worshiped Jesus with everything. It was so evident how much he loved Jesus. Will it be your humility? Man, she served others. It was so evident that her love of Christ led her to serve and to give and use her gifts. Man, that's that's what I saw in her life. Will it be your witness? Will it be your witness, your testimony about the transforming power of Jesus in your life that people are gonna talk about? Will there be someone there that would say, I'm here because they told me the good news. They shared the hope of Christ with me. And I believed and my life has changed. I saw evidence in their life and then they shared it with me and I gave my life to Christ. Will that be your legacy, your witness? See, this should be for every believer the legacy we are called to leave. Everything in our lives should point to the fact that Jesus is the greatest treasure. That Jesus is the one who can save us. You know, there are two legacies left here. We just talked about Mary's, but also we'd be remiss if we didn't mention another person here, his name was Judas. 
If I had to ask you, what is Judas' legacy? Judas' legacy is a betrayer, a hypocrite, self-serving, greedy, spiteful, prideful, and ultimately an unbeliever. And I want you to think about this for a moment. What is more likely to be true, that Judas or Mary spent more time with Jesus? It's most likely that Judas spent a whole lot more time with Jesus when he was on earth than Mary. But it was Mary who took full advantage of those opportunities. It was Mary that recognized that Jesus was the true treasure, not the the coins in the money bag. It was Mary that understood that having Jesus was meant that she could give everything to him in worship and it was worth it. Mary recognized that, but, but Judas, even though he walked with Jesus every day for probably three and a half years, he still missed it didn't get it. He heard the teachings, he saw the miracles, but he missed it. And church, let me just pause and say, it is completely possible for someone to come, to go to church day after, week after week, year after year, to hear about Jesus and yet never fully surrender your life to him. Because it's not just knowledge about Jesus that saves you. Yes, the Bible gives us all the the knowledge we need, but it's taking that knowledge, believing it to the fullest and giving and transferring your trust to him, placing your faith. The Bible says we are saved not by works, but by faith. Faith in Jesus and he alone. And then we, we repent of our sin. We recognize Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. You are the only one that can do that and asking him to save you. And the Bible says, if that is what you do, if that is, you cry out to him in repentance and humble yourself, the Bible says that you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise. So this morning, what's more important than your legacy is your eternity. And so I wanna ask you today, do you know where you will spend it? Have you made Jesus your greatest treasure? Because if you haven't yet, I believe the Holy Spirit is is moving in hearts today. I beg you, I ask you to make Jesus your Lord today. Cry out to him when we have our invitation time. Would you pray and ask Jesus to save you? And if you are a believer here, if you have made that decision, if you're like me and, and you're convicted over areas of your life that you've not fully surrendered to him, then spend your time in prayer confessing sin and asking for that intimacy that you once had and praying that God would help you to serve him and worship him more fully moving forward. Would you respond how God calls you and leads you this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. 
God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, which is change us at the heart level. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is yet to give their life to you, Lord, I pray today their eyes would be open. They would see you for who you truly are. They would see you for the treasure you are, the Son of God, the Messiah, the resurrection and the life. And I pray that they would give their life to you. Lord, for those of us who have, I pray that we would be reminded that you are the greatest gift we have ever received. Lord, may we live our lives to glorify you. May that be our purpose and the end to which we live. For we love you. In Jesus' name I pray.